How's that? Excellent. Okay. Um, if you can turn me down just a little bit, that'd be great. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about that statement. Um, we can push into it if you guys want to, if you have questions or comments. Um, I, I think, you know, they don't really provide much of a support, you know, for this is kind of an assertion that this is true. And this may very well be true. I don't know that it's true for every church in particular, um, but it, it might um, be fair to say that it's true for the uh, church at large. Um, an underdeveloped understanding of friendship and often does not honor singleness as it should. Um, so they're identifying a problem they want to address and see churches um, be intentional about, which I'm all for. I'm certainly supportive of a highly developed um, understanding of friendship and honoring um, singleness, even as we talked about last week, as a, um, a, a calling in the church with dignity and value and importance. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Jeremy's asking, what, what is the role for singles in the church in terms of um, ministry and, and involvement, that kind of thing? I mean, what I would say to a single person and have said to people who are in that um, state of life is that um, you should, as Paul talks about, um, think about not only the uh, challenges that come with being unmarried, but also the opportunities that come with being unmarried. And one of the opportunities of being unmarried is that you, um, as Paul puts it, don't have to be anxious about the same kinds of things that a married person is. And so that frees you um, to serve others in a different kind of way, um, and particularly frees you to serve the family of God um, that you're a part of. And that that's, that's a place where you know, I would certainly encourage, and I think we have a good uh, pattern of that in our church, of folks who are unmarried, um, taking on ministry in our church, whether that's, um, you know, diaconal work, whether that's working with our young people, um, whether that's, um, you know, serving in terms of preparing meals and, you know, all, well, all the things that can be true in terms of service in the church. I think there are unique opportunities to do that as a single person. Um, and and I, I should also say this explicitly, I don't think that being unmarried, or I don't think being married, put it the other way, should be a prerequisite to serve as an officer in the church, um, whether that's a deacon or an elder or a pastor. Um, I think that all of those offices should be um, open um, to uh, men who are unmarried, um, and they, they shouldn't be seen as not being qualified to serve, even in those particular ways in the church, because they don't have a wife or children. Um, I think, of course, there are benefits to having um, elders and deacons and pastors who have wives and children. But candidly, there's also benefits to elders and deacons and pastors who don't have children, don't have um, a wife, um, because of the way that 
they can be freed to serve. Um, I do, I understand why the dynamics exist within our denomination. Um, just, you know, this may already be obvious, but just to say it out loud, it is very difficult um, to be a senior minister in our congreg- in our denomination unless you're married. Um, nigh on impossible, I would say. <laughs> not entirely possible, but, but I'm, I'm not saying like formally this is true. I'm just saying in terms of the way it actually works out. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that's a shame. I think that churches should have, I, under, I understand why particular congregations want to call men who are pastors, um, who are married, and, and also usually have children. Um, that makes sense in terms of the things that you can learn um, in some ways only in those vocations and callings. Um, and of course, you know, often congregations want men that can, you know, because they think, well, we, we want to have families in our church, so we need to find a man who has a family, et cetera, et cetera. I understand that logic. Um, but I do think it's a failure of imagination to think that a, an unmarried pastor couldn't be a faithful senior minister. I mean, in some ways, um, even at least effective in different ways, a man who's married and has children um, is, um, because of the responsibilities and, and burdens that he bears because of those vocations. Does that help answer your question, Jeremy? Yeah. Anything else from that first paragraph? All right. um, The church must work to see that all members, including believers who struggle with same-sex attraction, are valued members of the body of Christ and engaged in meaningful relationships through the blessings of the family of God. Uh, Likewise, we affirm the value of Christians who share common struggles gathering together for mutual accountability, exhortation, and encouragement. Um, So, of course, I think that first statement is um, pretty um, uncontroversial, pretty straightforward, um, that the church wants to care for all its members regardless of their, um, the ways that they're tempted to sin or um, their... um, marital status, um, that, that all of those believers are being united together in faith in the family of God and, and receiving encouragement. Um, this next sentence, um, I think taken rightly, there's nothing particularly controversial about it, um, but it, it could be perceived that way. Affirming the value of Christians who struggle or share common struggles, gathering together for mutual accountability, exhortation, and encouragement. I do think this is true on, um, you know, a, a on some level, on a limited level at least. Um, I, I do have concerns about um, groups, small groups of people who are meeting, um, you know, specifically for a particular issue just kind of indefinitely and just kind of what, what that might, um, I'm not sure that that's the ideal long term, I guess, is what I would say. Um, you might think of a group for men who struggle with pornography, you might think of you know, a a group um, that has some other uh, addiction, um, you know, alcohol or um, some other kind of thing. Um, I think groups like that can be important and helpful, but they probably don't want to be sort of a long-term care plan for for people in the family of God. I think ideally you would have groups um, where you can be comfortable, but there are people who struggle with different kinds of sin than you do. Um, whose lives are different than yours. And um, ideally, I think that would be, you know, kind of long-term what would be a preferential kind of experience for folks in the family of God. 
Does that make sense? Um, so, any any thoughts about that? Again, doesn't seem particularly. Is a formative kind of part of who you are. Yeah, that's true. And I think the other thing I would say, I think groups like that can be helpful um, for folks learning how to initially be honest with others about their particular sin or their temptation to sin. Um, but I think ideally, the you know, again, they, they shouldn't maybe be a long-term kind of um, plan, but they, they can have that function. And, you know, often it's in uh, support groups for people with particular addictions or sins or experiences. You think about um, uh, grief or, you know, someone who's in a, a group of people um, who have just been divorced, you know, being able to talk about that experience. There can be particular things that, that take place in those communities that are helpful, but, yeah, I don't know that it's a long-term great plan for discipleship. That's all I would say. Okay? All right, let's do the nevertheless Nevertheless, we do not support the formation of exclusive contractual marriage-like friendships, nor do we support same-sex romantic behavior or the assumption that certain sensibilities and interests are necessarily aspects of a gay identity. Uh, we do not consider same-sex attraction a gift in itself, nor do we think this sin struggle or any sin struggle should be celebrated in the church. So here they're trying to, to make a, which I appreciate, a, a pretty clear line about how um, we should or shouldn't talk about um, uh, same-sex um, attraction, these kinds of things, identity in the church. Um, that first sentence, um, I, I don't know of anything like this that's happening actually in the PCA, um, but it is true that in sort of the broader, some of the broader conversations around um, folks who are seeking to be um, celibate sexually, um, but um, identify as um, either gay or homosexual or um, same-sex attracted um, while following Jesus. There is, and, and, and I, I don't at all get the impression, and I stay pretty current in terms of like the discussions that are happening online and all those things. I don't think this is anything more than a fringe movement of that broader discussion that's much broader than the PCA. Again, I don't have any knowledge of this kind of thing happening in the PCA itself. But it is true that there there are within that movement of people who are trying to be faithful Christians um, in the midst of these struggles, um, an openness to kind of a, what, what, you know, like basically two men committing to live together and love one another and be committed to one another but not have sex, essentially. Um, and it begins to look like, you know, essentially a celibate marriage. Um, from the outside, at least. And, and sometimes, you know, I've even heard of situations where people are taking some kind of vows to one another in that scenario. Um, again, I don't know of this happening anywhere in our denomination, um, but it is something that, and, and you can understand that the impulse behind that, right, to some extent, that these are people who are saying, um, so far as I know, I will never be married to a woman. Um, I, de you know, I desire to honor God in terms of not participating in um, homosexual um, activity, sex, sex, 
um, to be specific, but I desire to have the, you know, some of the benefits, some of the assurances of um, marriage and, and sort of a, a relationship that's more than just a, quote unquote, just a friendship. Um, you can understand the desire behind that, but uh, I think you can also hopefully see um, the million different problems that um, would be connected to that um, decision to engage in something like that. It's confusing um, about exactly what the nature of the relationship is. Um, um, you know, there's potentially a great deal more temptation for um, illicit um, sexual activity between two parties who are um, both have that similar struggle and have now contracted to, you know, um, and vowed to live with one another and to be, you know, supportive partners and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so, I mean, there are a million different reasons why that's not a great idea. Not, not just not a great idea. That's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> um, so, and they want to just say very clearly, and I want to say very clearly that we, that is not something that Christians should do. Um, that's foolish um, to use biblical language um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, um, marriage is between a man and a woman, and it's for life, and it's, Yes, it includes sexual um, intimacy, but it's far more than that. And to try to create marriage-like relationships without um, sex is um, to, I think, to, to it, it, it confuses what marriage is for to start with, um, and it creates all sorts of problems for people who are in those kinds of situations. Any questions about that? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I think they would say that about unbelievers. Yeah, um, there are probably some. You talking about like same-sex? Um, what's the word that's used? Unions. There's one. Um, right. So um, yes, I think I don't know if I can speak for the entire study committee. I would I would not support same-sex unions being a a legal um, you know thing that exists in our in our culture that the government recognizes. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can, I think the, the, um, the laws of our land should as much as possible reflect the laws of God, and I don't think there's any, well, clearly there's no place in the laws of God for that kind of uh, union outside of marriage, yeah, so yeah. Say that again? Acceptance of it, Yes. Right, and it, are you making a distinction between same-sex unions and homosexual marriage as two different things, or the same thing? <laughs> right, it's effectively the same thing at this point, yeah, yeah. But obviously that was before homosexuals had the quote-unquote right to marry. They, many um, states were beginning to give them the right to enter into something that was everything but marriage, except, you know, just wasn't marriage, something didn't have the name marriage, but it was basically marriage. Yeah, I, I would say that I would be opposed to that. I think that that is not something that we should support legally in our nation. It's We shouldn't have this kind of two-kingdom mindset where, well, you know, there are certain rules for the world and there are certain rules for the church. I think that um, the law is given to the church because it's, it's how humanity should live. And we should uh, peacefully but, but persistently seek um, that, that kind of law that I mean those kind of that kind of rule within the broader society and culture yeah 
Um, Jeremy, I mean, Matt and then Jeremy. Matt. Uh-huh. More than that, yeah. Well, I guess I guess my response to that would be let's let's work toward. I would love to see the current laws around divorce in our state or our nation be rolled back and returned to um, something more like a Christian understanding of what um, constitutes legitimate divorce. Um, so that that's what I would say to that is that that I I would I would agree with with what you're saying in terms of no-fault divorce is also a, a terrible um, reflection of the law of God. And I would, I would, and I, I get it, I know these are complicated, you know, legal things that you think in political issues, but I, I just think that they're embracing um, no-fault divorce as a culture has been devastating um, for our, and I think you could point to that in a million different ways. Um, for families and for society in general, um, and we're reaping a whirlwind. And yes, part of the whirlwind we're reaping is other um, errors in terms of um, you know how we view homosexual homosexuality or how all, all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, no fault divorce should not be the law of the land. That that divorce should only be granted by the state and in areas where um, it's permitted biblically um, and uh, namely adultery or desertion um, and for while we're at it I would say I would love for I would like for pornography to be illegal um, not just of children but of any person um, that would um, I think that's a, <laughs> a, a righteous goal um, and and you know at some point the tide may turn on that question just because of the devastation that people are beginning even outside the church are beginning to realize that sort of unfettered access to pornography um, creates for a culture. Um, I think, I think you know, just as prostitution is illegal, pornography um, should be illegal. I think there are actually a lot of parallels between uh, pornography and prostitution. Um, and we, if we take seriously what Jesus says about lusting in your heart um, after a woman being adultery, um, we should take seriously, um, you know, the, the state should have an interest in restricting um, that kind of behavior. So, um, uh, Jeremy. I think I think there are most the majority of PCA pastors would share my position. There would be a minority that would not have a problem with 
using language like a recovery language. That that'd be my answer to the question. Yeah. Yeah. Majority of PCA congregations have a trouble with recovery language? Th probably not. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a probably a fair distinction, Kim. Um, Kim was asking, do you think essentially a majority of PCA members um, have a problem with recovery language? And you I think that's true. I think I would say probably don't they don't. And I think I think that we should think more deeply about um, the impact of the words that we use um, on that shape our behavior. And, and, and again, this is not to say, I mean, AA has been used um, to help people in, a, in, in many different ways, and thanks be to God for that. Um, and um, yeah, but I do think there are dangers too. There, there are weaknesses, there are downsides. Um, to a group like AA also, yeah, um, or Christian forms of that, which also exist in the church. Anything else before we move on to this last paragraph? Um, I'll, I'll just, or continue on the, so we just basically talked about the contract like marriage, like friendships. So the next um, clause there, nor do we support same-sex romantic behavior or the assumption that certain sensibilities and interests are necessarily aspects of a gay identity. It's not immediately clear to me um, how those two statements are linked to one another um, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I think I agree with them both, certainly agree with the first one. Um, um, and also, I think, if I understand what they're saying in the second statement there, I think I agree with that as well. Um, but just to be clear, um, there's you know, uh, because of all the reasons we've talked about in terms of concupiscence and desire and the sinfulness of same-sex attractions, I think it should be pretty obvious why same-sex romantic behavior um, would be uh, not um, supported um, or permitted in the church, um, that that would be unwise and even sinful just because of the way in which same-sex attraction is sinful. Um, the assumption that certain sensibilities and interests are necessarily aspects of a gay identity. Honest, be candid with you, I'm not even sure what exactly they're trying to say here um, and, or what they're trying to protect against exactly. James? Well, from what I'm familiar with, these things do go together. Like, what I'm familiar with more is um, or aware of more than like contractual um, marriage like friendships. Sure. Where um, people take vows of singleness, um, lifelong celibacy, but like specific with a specific kind of target for people who are same-sex attracted. Right. And from what I'm aware of, this like very much goes along with uh, um, different. Right. As a kind of identity marker, um, yeah, and like the 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 group that this um, Protestant monastic movement is um, right 
Right. Um, right. Like the rainbow. Right. Like wearing the rainbow. Um, being in fashion. I don't know. Like sure. So it's kind of that, stereotypical. Embrace those broader. Right. In terms of dress or or. Sex. Right. Yeah. Right. That's probably you're that that you're probably on target there. Um, so essentially, James is saying that within this movement of about you know where there are sort of contract vowed singleness or celibacy, and to be clear, our. Confession does speak about monastic vows, um, and it says you shouldn't take them, um, that there's no reason, essentially, to take vows of celibacy or singleness, um, um, partly because, you know, you don't know what the Lord might do. Um, it's, it's, you should be very careful about the vows that you make. Um, in any case... Um, so yeah, so within that, so James is saying within that culture, there 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 seems to be a movement to sort of basically say, as long as you're not having sex, you can in, in gay sex, you can embrace other aspects of quote unquote gay identity, as that's understood more broadly in our culture in terms of uh, interests or fashion or um, dress or whatever. What's that? Markers, yeah, language. Yeah, and I, I think I think I think they're right to say our goal should not be to have sort of subversive agents within gay culture who are trying to sort of redeem. I mean, obviously, there's nothing wrong with men caring about how they look um, in a fundamental way. Um, there's nothing wrong with um, you know the arts or whatever it might be that is connected to quote unquote gay culture. Um, but our goal shouldn't be to sort of go within gay culture and you know do those things within within it should be to redeem the things that are good within gay culture and bring them into the church and I would argue that you know that's where I mean who cared about the arts to start with right it, it wasn't homosexuals to be clear um, um, or beauty or whatever um, um, it was the church um, in western civilization right um, and that's that's something that yeah so anyway we don't, we don't need to seed that ground I guess is what I would say um, the 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 things that could be described as positive. But it's also, I mean, man, there's just so much, you know, um, there are, to be clear, things that are celebrated within um, a court of quote-unquote gay culture within our society that are positive and good, but it's a, it's a thin layer of positive and good underneath um, a lot of to be frank, depravity, um, and that's you know if if you have had any kind of you know if you've gone below the sort of willing grace veneer of what you know gay culture really is, um, you know this that that there is um, it it is not good. I'll just say this for men particularly um, to be able to have as much sex as they want with other men um, and to build a culture around that. Um, that's about as, you know, um, depraved as it gets in terms of what human beings are capable of. Um, and, and that's something that we shouldn't, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be afraid to say that. 
to say that that's a very bad thing and very bad things will come out of out of a kind of culture that has that kind of behavior and practice at its at its root um, there's a reason why um, the Lord wants men to be um, monogamous and restricted in their sexual lives to one woman um, um, so I'll just say that um, we do not consider same-sex attraction a gift in itself, nor do we think this sin struggle or any sin struggle should be celebrated in the church. Um, I, um, I, I don't know there's a whole lot to say here. I think, again, if you take seriously what the previous statements have said and what we've talked about in terms of concupiscence and the inherent sinfulness of same-sex desire, um, of course it's not something that we would see as a gift. It's not the same as, to be clear, you know, being a paraplegic or something, right? It's not just this, like, handicap, this disability that God has given to you. Um, it's just, no, it's a sin, you know, someone can be paralyzed without having sinned um, and, and, or e engaging in sin <laughs> as they're using their wheelchair, right? Um, you know, it, it's a different kind of thing. Um, and so it's, it's not a gift in that way, um, fundamentally. It's not something that should be celebrated um, within the church. It doesn't mean it should be ostracized in a particular way, same-sex, you know, struggles. Um, but, it, but it also shouldn't be, um, like any sin struggle, um, should not be celebrated in the church as a unique identity marker or something that is a, a good thing. I don't know if that's controversial or not. Anybody have questions? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I think, I think you're touching on a, a real issue, Alexis. Alexis is essentially saying it's very difficult to navigate these things in the broader culture because to, um, to tell someone that you don't approve of their um, lifestyle or their identity markers or whatever it is um, is, is seen as an, um, an attack on their person. Um, and I don't know what to do about that tension except to say that we're going to have to figure out how to embrace it um, as Christians. Um, um, and, and Jesus, you know, in God's providence and kindness, spoke about this thing, kind of thing, right? He says, blessed are you when others revile you and hate you and curse you um, for the sake of my name. Um, you're blessed um, when you experience these things. And I, I, I suspect that as the church, we're going to have to trust Jesus um, that, um, you know, it is a blessed thing um, 
to be hated by others unjustly for his sake. And I do, obviously, there are ways that we can be foolish and unkind and, you know, create offense where there doesn't need to be offense. Um, but I don't, I don't know that there's going to be any way in the near future or even the longer term future, particularly, to hold to a Christian sexual ethic without making people hate you in our broader culture, unless something drastically changes in our culture. And I don't, I don't know what to do about that except to say that this is not unprecedented in the life of the church, um, and it's something we shouldn't be afraid of. Um, and there are worse things than people hating you or thinking that you're, you know, um, a fundamentalist or that you, um, you know, are, are a jackass or whatever it is that people might think about you. Um, there are worse things than that, particularly there are, you know, the state of your soul, for example, for eternity. Um, that, you know, the, so we, so that's, I guess that's part of what I would say just to Alexis is that I, I think that's, I think you're right. I think you're naming a real tension, but I don't also think that we've got to figure out how to um, embrace that and, and keep telling people I can love you and not um, affirm everything that you're doing or saying or, or trying to be or whatever. And, and to some extent we have to reconcile ourselves that You know, that it's gonna it's gonna impact us. It's gonna impact potentially our professional options. It's gonna impact potentially our friendships. It's gonna impact all sorts of things. Um, but I don't I don't know how to take away that. And you know, I think the only way that changes is if we, as the church, be the church, and God decides to have mercy on our nation and our culture and bring about real renewal and change um, and repentance and. Um, That'll only happen. One of the means God will use that is the faithfulness of believers to be with Jesus out outside the camp, right? Uh, Matthew. Sure. Right. Well, sure. I mean, I think that's true. I just think in some ways it's going to be hard to convince people of that position um, in the world in which, in at least through some kind of apologetic debate, you know, what I mean, and certainly some people are called to be apologists, apologists, and to have the kind of philosophical debates with people. Do you know what I mean? And that, but I think generally most of us, the way that we will persuade people of the um, the goodness of the way of life that we are pursuing is simply by doing it and letting them observe it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so that's part of what I would say is absolutely you're right in terms of fundamental to the confusion is the assumptions about what constitutes a human person and 
and and you know the the malleable nature of that and whether that's something that's given to you or something that is an expression of your um, your desires and your and and yes we should we should seek to put those things out of the church as much as we can right to be faithful and not be corrupted by ideologies that would um, be um, destructive um, but I also think that to some extent that the philosophical battle has been lost um, aside from the church in the broader culture I mean inside aside from there being real renewal and change and and I I, sus- I mean, this is just me speculating but I doubt that that will come about in any way other than the collapse of all of uh, all of the falsehoods in our broader culture under their own weight. Does that make sense? Um, and I don't think it's going to be a pretty thing. But typically that's how God has brought renewal to cultures that's been, you know, who, that have been perverse, that have been um, built on false premises. Um, it's been through death and resurrection. Um, and I, it would not surprise me that that's what he would do. I think I guess part of what I'm saying is that I don't I don't know that we can bring the American culture back from the edge, right? I think we might already be over it. Um, and it, I mean, maybe maybe that's you know maybe I'm being overly um, pessimistic. I don't know. I'm not a prophet, but I'm just I'm just telling you where where I'm at um, in terms of. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, I think I wouldn't necessarily pit those things against one another. You know, people know Christ. Part of it is for their belief systems to be deconstructed and taken apart. And um, but, but I understand what you're saying, Allison. And again, I don't think that all of us are called in this. I think there are people who are gifted um, in a more kind of uh, or able to be more adversarial in terms of the ways that they can interact with falsehoods in our culture. And I, I think there's a place for that. So that's what you're talking about specifically. <laughs> uh, we could even go further beyond that and wonder if there's actually a lot of benefit to social media. Um, <laughs> if I could ask that question. Um, uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I understand the points you're making, I think. Yeah, James. Sure. Yeah. And through seeing the beauty of this church as a community, um, and so she came to know Christ, and then she had to deconstruct and like figure out what. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a that's a great example. And I think I think it's sufficient to say that the body of Christ has many parts, many members, and some are called to different. And I, I do think most of us are called not to be adversarial apologists, um, but to be live quiet lives and work with our hands, um, as um, Paul says in Thessalonians. And that's that's I think that's right. Let me just, we, we'll probably need to wrap up here, um, but let me just say this, um, because I just made some really um, maybe depressing statements about <laughs> our culture. <laughs> um, to be clear, like, I'm making those statements because I'm not afraid if we're already over the cliff, right? Um, that's okay. Like, this is what God does. This is what he does. He always does it. He's done it throughout history in a million different ways, different cultures, um, different nations, uh, the United States of America is not some exception to the rule. Um, we are like any of the, na- I know, Roy has his mouth dropped open there. <laughs> Sorry about that, Roy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're not the new Israel, no. Um, so it's okay. It's okay if things are already kind of out of our control in terms of, you know, walking our culture back from, um, you know, we're not just a little off course. Like, we're way off course as a culture. Um, and, but God is, you know, God knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing as he's ruling the nations. Um, I don't have any doubt that he is going to bring all of the nations, including the United States, um, or whatever the United States is called in, you know, 300 years, um, under his um, rule. And, That'll take place, and it, but it will be the same way he's always done that. It'll be through death and resurrection. Um, and we get to be along for the ride, um, and that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us as the church. And, um, and we don't know how that will take place. I mean, I, I, one of the things I said when I became pastor of this church eight years ago in the candidating interview is that I, part of what I understand my task to be in post-Christian America in the 21st century is to is to love and serve and care for whatever people the Lord gives me, um, but also to prepare them for the day when um, the missionaries from Nigeria show up on our our shores and they begin um, the renewal of the West, right? And I suspect that that's ultimately how the West will be renewed. Um, it will be uh, through um, other places where the gospel um, is taking root, um, Asia, Africa, South America, um, you know, it's like that remarkable speech that um, Churchill gave um, when he was the, after Dunkirk, when the Germans were going to invade, it looked like, and he said, and even if the British Empire failed, um, then the new world would rise up, right, even if all is lost, even if Hitler comes in and takes takes England and London and, you know, the swastikas over um, Westminster Hall or whatever. Um, He said, even in that situation, the new world will rise up and they will conquer um, and push back this evil. And by the new world, what he meant was India, South South Africa, um, you know, the colonies essentially at that time. Um, That, and and that's, you know, I mean, that's how we, that's an appropriate way to think about um, the status of the Western church that even if the Western church completely, or the Western civilization completely, you know, falls into, um, collapses under its own weight, the God's plan for the human race is far bigger than, 
Western civilization. Um, thanks be to God. Um, let's stand and pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks um, for all these things. We pray that you would give us wisdom as we engage in our culture. Um, obviously, Lord, it is a, a deeply um, challenging and confusing cultural moment in which to live. And yet it is also not without precedent. Um, it's nothing that you haven't prepared us for and haven't equipped us for in your word. Um, and, and with the present help of your spirit, um, we pray that you indeed would dwell with us by those means and that you would grant us um, the wisdom and humility and grace that we need to trust you and to live uh, faithful lives um, in, a, in a world of unfaithfulness. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.